Welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as some of the others. You can always check back and listen to anyone at any time, of course. Got a great program in store for you today. From Cheap RV Living to the Academy Award-winning film Nomadland, all about, I'll call it the mobile lifestyle, van life, and related topics. I've got the breakout star from that film, Bob Wells. He's one of us. That's how he became a part of the movie. Oh, and the book, too, by the same name. We'll be talking about the movie, all the people in it, what we can learn from it, and you might be surprised at some of the lessons in that movie and the book. But then we'll also look at some of the practical observations, tips, and suggestions that Bob has from living the mobile lifestyle. It's all coming up here on the RV Travel Podcast. But first, you know, um, life has changed I know that's the understatement of the day when it comes to where we get our gear, but Chuck Woodbury, the founder of RVTravel.com, and I always talk about, uh, you know, the stuff that matters to you. And uh, he recently published a poll on the website uh, asking you where you buy most of your RV parts and accessories. And it was eye-opening to me. I don't know about to you. Th- take a moment. Just think about that for a moment. Good. If you're buying from a local parts store or RV dealer, I applaud that. <clears throat> it's it's a great way to keep the economy fueled up. The biggest source of your stuff, Amazon.com. 57% of you are buying most of your gear there. The next closest rival is that local independent RV store. Everything else is, uh, it pales by comparison and and, you know some of your comments in that area are fascinating to me rv grandma good on you she buys from her mobile rv tech the local rv store and then when she has to amazon.com traveling jw reminds us that amazon doesn't necessarily have the best price all the time that's a lesson that maybe some of us have learned the hard way almost always online is what dmw says and then karen kelly says she just described she just discovered a great new parts store well this is in canada (laughs) youngfartsrvparts.ca so if you're up north of the border in the great white north you might take take a look at them as well yeah, that is uh, <clears throat> eye-opening to say the least. Um, and, uh, you know, the kind of stuff we follow, that's our job here at the RV Travel Podcast, is keep our finger on the pulse, if you will. And the other thing we've got to do is pay the bills once in a while. And one way we do that is by thanking our sponsors, clear2o.com. They're RV and marine inline water filters and sediment filters they call those dirt guards will change your rv inline water filter philosophy you put them together it's a two-stage thing you hook them up to the hose bib and then you run the hose through into your rv you can get all the big chunks out with the dirt guard 20 micron filter and then squeeze it down through that solid carbon block in the uh one micron filter of their 
bright green, I'm told it's green, I'm colorblind, bright green inline filter, incredible filtration, takes out all the odors, takes out all the bad stuff, superior to virtually everything else you can find out there. Free shipping in the lower 48 on a purchase of $100 or more, that's just a few water filters. Add the dirt guard and I think you'll be very happy with the results and, of course, the free shipping. Clear to o.com check out the five star reviews excited to have you know i i don't i know he won't get a swelled head over this but uh, i consider him the breakout star in the movie nomad land that won so many academy awards bob wells real claims to fame are much more um service oriented cheaprvliving.com is his uh, you know kind of his home base got a youtube channel of the same name and he's the co-founder of the homes on wheels alliance bob it's a pleasure to speak with you welcome to the rv travel podcast thank you very much i'm uh, delighted to be here tell me uh, uh, don't give me the latitude and longitude but where are you talking to us from i am in oregon right now in steamy hot oregon so am i what a coincidence really? yeah <laughs> well at least the smoke has cleared to a great degree uh, probably depending on where you are better than most places yeah yeah i haven't been directly affected by wildfires yet although by the end of, it's a long summer yeah and we're kind of used to that i won't bore you with the story of the the wildfire last year that uh that we were deeply involved in but it was interesting to say the least you know you you are a guru and, and i say that because i believe it i'm i'm not one of those guys i just i i've, I've seen your work i watched the movie again a few days ago uh you you really have a service orientation and i appreciate that i'm an old boy scout from way back cheaprvliving.com and the youtube channel are all about helping people this homes on wheels alliance i think is just it's your third leg you know if you could grow another one it seems like that's the third one tell me what propels you into all of that well, it's a decision um, you make. What kind of, um, you know, we all, at my age, I'm 66, and I think that's your age also, right? Mm-hmm. But at our age, you know, we've probably gone through a midlife crisis where we, start, where we said to ourselves, to some degree, what's my life all about? Why am I here? Is this all there is? And uh, so I did go through one of those, a fairly profound one. I, I look back at it as a, a sort of a dark night of the soul. And I made the decision then that uh, I needed to have a good reason why I was alive on this planet. And so I've devoted myself to service ever since. And that's just, uh, you know, our brains are very surprisingly plastic. And you can become another person. And so I made the decision I was going to become another person and, and have followed through with that um, pretty much all my life since then. 25 years now so um how would you describe the service that you're providing now to so many people ar- around the world i i think of myself uh, pr- first and foremost as a teacher mm-hmm. uh so my job i think of my job as to 
to communicate to people that they have a choice. They can live a different lifestyle, and they don't know it. Our society doesn't want them to know it, but they can. They can, they can, they can change their lives tomorrow if they choose to. And so I want to communicate first what that is, how you do it, all the nuts and the bolts and the technical details, because you won't do it if you can't figure all those things out. And, and equally, I want to inspire people to live their best life and at least to consider an alternative. The alternative may not be for them. It's not for everyone. But if you don't know about it and have never considered it, it, it just doesn't exist. So I want them to, be, to know and at least consider. And so to inspire and educate, that's what I do. You know, in the last year and a half, a lot of people have um, questioned their their place in the world, if you will, and and considered, you know, what I'll call van life. You you call it the nomad lifestyle. We can call it whatever we want. Um, and as you, you told me earlier, yeah, it's all about, it's not about the the literal vehicle, if you will, it's about something beyond that. You use the term tent. Uh, explain a little bit more about that whole, what I'll call nomad lifestyle. Well, we are a, a broad, broad range of people. There are, there are so many, you know, you can't go to YouTube and type in at van life or uh, pound sign van life. And you're going to find dozens, hundreds of young uh, millennial couples in beautiful vans you know so there there that's a real flood of people coming out and then on the other extreme you have the older uh escapees and and traditional rv retired rv people uh who are really they're just normal average americans who instead of living in an apartment an apartment when they get old or a condo in florida when they get old they're living on on four or six wheels so um you know that's that's a wide wide range of attitudes and and in the middle are people uh, my predominant audience are people who are forced into it though because of economics that's pretty much the only way they can live and so it's this wide range of ages and attitudes um, and I think of it as a big tent and everyone is welcome in inside the tent with uh, respect and dignity and so come aboard. All are welcome. You uh, you talk uh, about the tyranny of the dollar and getting out the lifeboats and and things like that. Is is that kind of the the fundamental basis of of your philosophy? Well, yes. <clears throat> well, it's not the basis, but it's an important starting point. Uh, so in two thousand eight, when the economy crashed. Uh, a lot of average Americans uh, lost their jobs, and then without their jobs, very quickly they lost their homes because of the, the whole thing was built around a, an incredible housing bubble that destroyed a lot of lives. So they moved in with their family, and then their family lost their jobs and their home. And then there, here's this whole group of people out without any place to live. So they went to the Internet and searched for how do I live really cheap? How do I live on a budget? How do mm -hmm. I live in my car? Because mm -hmm. that's where they were. Well, in 2008, uh, 2008, 9 to 10, I was about the only one, com was the only one. And right on my website, my, my home page, I have a budget for 500 a month and a budget for 1000 a month. Well, that was the answer, is uh, if you have almost no money coming in, you can live in your vehicle, and you can be have a surprisingly high quality of life 
living in your vehicle, although that's very counterintuitive to most people. But you can, and I wanted to. Sh- and the website is designed to show them how to live on five hundred to a thousand a month living in their vehicle. And so that is kind of the base core. But below that is a belief that that is not just an emergency. Uh, hit the emergency door and and break the fire alarm and yeah. set off the fire alarm. Yeah, that's a higher quality of life. And as we're seeing that now. It's a choice that anyone can make. You know, at, you know, probably most of your audience is familiar with the, the retirees who, instead of living in Florida in a condo or moving, living in an apartment uh, on wheels, a, a nice RV. Well, it's the same attitude. This is a higher quality of life that I am choosing. It's just not the teeny tiny quality of life that comes with a car or a, a minivan or a van. Yeah, hold that thought. Uh, Hey, everybody, you're listening to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the host. That's Bob Wells. You probably recognize the name. You might recognize the face and the voice from Nomadland, the Academy Award-winning film. But Bob's, uh, I'll call it his his bread and butter, is CheapRVLiving.com. Bob, you talk about quality of life. And and um, and this is something that more and more again the pandemic has caused a lot of people to rethink how they define that. How does a how does a nomad? I mean, we all have our own interpretation of it, but how do you define that? Well, the primary way I define it is as freedom. Yeah. And the odd thing is that over the years I've realized that freedom and comfort are the opposite ends of a spectrum. And if you want a lot of comfort, you have to give up a lot of freedom. You know, if you want to live in a nice big house, nice big RV, that's going to mean needing more money. That's going to need meeting a job. If you think of comfort as a 3,000 square foot house in the nicest part of town, that's going to mean a, a devotion and a slavery to a career uh, to pay for it. And then once you have the great big house, you've got to buy all the things to fill it. And on it goes on and on the cycle goes. And so... You get all this amazing, astounding comfort, but you get zero freedom because if you don't like your neighbors, you're stuck with them. You're not moving. If you don't like, you decide you hate your boss, the new boss that just came in who who treats you like dirt, you're stuck. You got a big mortgage. You got a big nut. You're going to stay right there and you're going to eat the stuff that your boss gives you. You have no freedom. Uh, whereas if you can live in a vehicle, if you can decide I can live in a van and I can get my expenses down to 500 a month. The amount of control over your life that you gain is nearly total. You're going to have to work. No one in this country lives without money. So you're going to have to have some money coming in. Maybe uh, my suggestion, right on again on the homepage of the website, is work six months out of the year and take six months off. Yeah. So, yes, that's only half-time freedom, but it's a whole lot more freedom than you had before. So it's always a balancing act of comfort and freedom. The less comfort you need, the more uh, freedom you can have, the more comfort you require, you think you require, uh, the less freedom you have. And so for us, once you've tasted that freedom, and that's what's going on today, people have tasted the freedom. Even amidst all the trauma of the pandemic, they didn't get up and go to work every day and be, have their life owned and controlled by the dollar, by the boss, by the landlord. They haven't been paying the landlord, probably. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden, they've got this freedom, and they like it. And that's what we're seeing 
people not going back to work. It isn't it isn't because they're all lazy. It's because they're all sick and tired of having a job they hate and uh, going to a work they don't like to buy things they don't want or need. And so they're seeing an option. You know, it's and that's, a, that's a good thing. It's the classic, you know, uh, when you're on your deathbed, you never say, boy, I wish I'd worked more frequently and harder, you know, uh, and you probably hear variations on that. Well, every day I would bet let's get down to you know, some more practical concerns when it comes to people who are considering the, the nomad lifestyle, uh, whether it's part-time, full-time, uh, whether they're forced into it or they're just attracted to it and looks like a great way to, you know, see the country. Um, what are some of the biggest, um, biggest uh, mistakes we make when we want to become a part of that more mobile lifestyle? Well, if it depends, uh, you know, I'd have to, I'd, if someone came to me and said, what do I do? I'd have to ask you a whole lot of questions. Yeah. But they yeah. still come down to this basic issue, their freedom versus comfort. Mm-hmm. How much money do you have? That determines how much comfort you can buy while you're a nomad. If you got lots of money, you can buy a nice big RV and stay in, in RV parks. And you can have a lot of comfort and minimal freedom. You know, you can't take that RV very, that very many places because mm-hmm. it's getting eight miles to the gallon, and it's a big honking monster. So you're giving up a lot of freedom, but you're gaining a lot of comfort. Well, you have to tell me where you want to fit. I want freedom above all else. Well, then maybe a van would be perfect for you. Or, uh, But above, above all else, I want to be comfortable. Well, then, yeah, that big RV is probably your perfect solution. Something For most people, it's something in between, and that something in between is probably a van. A van does everything reasonably well, nothing well, it's got enough comfort. Uh, if you if you're willing, it's got enough comfort. Um, and so you just have to choose. You choose a vehicle. You choose the um, level of freedom you want in your life, and then you and comfort, and then you go after that. You know, it's funny because I've been around the block a few times. I've, I'm on my twelfth RV right now, and I've had virtually everything except a motor coach. And I'm ready for the next step, which might be downsizing yet again for that very reason it does you know i i'm at the point where i can i can strive for more freedom and less comfort that's just where i am in my life but who are the people who are um who are uh really down to it the ones who are are serious about this stuff and and where do you find where are they i mean and they're go, are they going to quartzite are we able to you know socialize and learn from them somewhere well it's it again it's a big tent yeah so i have a friend who uh, was a coder in uh in silicon valley uh he probably has a million dollars in the bank and he lives in a subaru uh-huh. uh and he spends his time mountain climbing and uh, I have a, another friend who lives in a minivan and spends his life through hiking. His, his goal is to through hike all the all the, the triple what they call the triple crown of through hiking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where would you find him? Well, you'll find him at a trailhead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or uh, the other guy you'll find uh, at the base of one, any one of the amazing uh, mountain climbing areas in this country. So you know we are. It is. It really truly is a big tent. And, of course, you're going to find a lot of them at the LTVA in Quartzsite. You know, if you said mm-hmm. to me, where are you going to find your older traditional RVer? I'm going to say probably at the LTVA or in one of the um, 
Lauren, Yuma, you know, they're going to be a lot of them down at Yuma. Sure. They're going to be down. They're all over. All, all the LTVAs. Uh, Florida, you know, Florida's just full of uh, in the winter. And then in the summer, we tend to scatter to the wind. And, boy, I can't tell you where you'll find us in the summer. But uh, in the winter, you're probably going to find us in California, Arizona, maybe the Texas coast sure. uh, or Florida. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Homes on Wheels Alliance. I'm, I'm just, uh, again, this just, like I said, strikes me as just a natural progression, very organic for you. Uh, what is that organization all about? Well, our primary, uh, my personal primary audience uh, and and the m- main clientele of Homes on Wheels Alliance, which is a 501c3 uh, approved by IRS, so every, every donation is technically a uh, tax deduction. So uh, my audience is primarily older people who are on Social Security and cannot live on it. So the average Social Security in this country is 1400 Well, uh, that's the average, which means there's a whole bunch on making less than that, and there's a whole bunch making a little more. Uh, I mean, what's the max on Social Security, 2500 3000 something like that? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I'll never see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't either, believe me. Uh, but most people... And I have a lot of friends who are making 800 a month on Social Security. They just mm-hmm. worked minimum wage jobs there all their life. They never put a lot of money in. They didn't save anything on their own. Uh, it's nearly impossible. Pensions have virtually disappeared in this country. Unless you're in a government agency of some kind, you're probably not getting a pension. Um, and so they can't live on that. And I, I back in 2008 and still today, I get letters every day. I I'm can't live on my income. I can't by the quality of my life. I'm getting a thousand a month on Social Security. That's very common. Uh, Eight hundred of it goes into my apartment, and that's it. I've got a couple hundred months to live on, and I can't. My quality of life is or making you're making fourteen fifteen hundred on Social Security. Thousand goes into your apartment, uh, and that's it. You're not you're barely surviving on on that. The quality of life is low. They find out they have an option. They can live in their vehicle. Um, and but a lot of them, because they're making the 800 a month, cannot afford a vehicle. They don't have uh, a vehicle that's reliable enough to go. So one of the things we do is we buy and prepare minivans and we donate them to people in need. If wow, that's you. Uh, we we can we we don't do it a lot. We're still very new. We're not even three years old yet, which is still tiny, which is very a baby in the world of 501c3s. And we'd serve the community in many other ways. We have an emergency fund. We had two amazing people donate uh, $20,000. So we have an emergency fund. If you're a nomad uh, and you are uh, broke down somewhere, we will we'll buy you a new set of tires. We'll get you a brake job. We'll, we'll drop in and potentially drop in a new transmission. Uh, well, you do have to apply. You have to show your need. Uh, and But if, if, if you meet our parameters, uh, We'll take care of you. We will almost always pay the, the repair shop directly. And we've also found an amazing amount of times when people discover what's going on, like the repair shop will cut the bill in half mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because they, they're so impressed with what we're doing. So that's another thing we're doing. Uh, we have – so I uh, began something called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, mm-hmm. uh, which I've transferred over to, um, to the uh, Homes and Wheels Alliance, the 501c3. Uh, that, uh, was hosting the last one that we had that was full size. We've had lots of problems with the BLM and finding land. And then we got hit with the pandemic. Uh, I had 10,000 people there 
And so that was that's an, uh, one of the things we want to do much more of is meetings and gatherings. I think we're going to have to buy land. The BLM is just not going to uh, to let us keep going with crowds those size. They they are treating us like Burning Man because I think we have the potential to be that size, and they yeah, see it too. Yeah. And so they're putting Burning Man size restrictions on us now. And the costs are just so exorbitant that we can't possibly do them. Oh, I bet. Well, if we want to learn more about the Homes on Wheels Alliance, whether it's to contribute or because we need something, what's the best website address for that? Uh, it's homesonwheelsalliance.org. That's homesonwheelsalliance.org. Before we get to our next topic right after the break, uh, by the way, that's Bob Wells. Uh, you, If you know him... It's from the movie Nomadland, or it's from CheapRVLiving.com, or the YouTube channel of the same name. Bob, if you were going to suggest to all of us the one thing that we should probably bring with us in the nomad lifestyle that we don't probably bring, that essential piece of gear that we never thought about, what would it be? Here is the, here's my answer, and it's, unfortunately, it's not a physical piece of gear. It's, it's adaptability because things are going to be so different living on wheels that you need the ability to think critically in a situation and solve problems. And you need to be adaptable and a critical thinker. And that is something I'm seeing lacking um, over and over again. So if you said, what's the single most important thing for a nomad? That's it. The ability to adapt. Uh, whatever the situation is, you're broke down in the middle of nowhere, how am I going to handle this? Just calmly, step-by-step, step, solve your problem. And, boy, that's just really lacking in this country. You know, the idea, education now just teaches to the test. No one learns how to think. And, um, boy, I just run into a lot of people that can't solve basic problems. They they write me, they call me basic problems, and they want me to solve them for them. And that's the that's the thing I'm going to suggest to everyone. Uh, the Buddhist monk of nomad life. That's Bob Wells. I'm Scott Linden, your host here at the RV Travel Podcast. Bob, put your feet up for a moment. I'll pay a bill or two, and then we'll be back to talk about the movie and the real lessons in nomad land. Hang loose. Well, you all listen to me talk about softstartrv.com/slash stay cool. Save 30 bucks right now, only $2.99. Free shipping in the U.S. and Canada, risk-free 90-day money-back guarantee. That's the gizmo you attach to your air conditioner so that you can use it with a wimpy generator like mine or on regular household current. No clunks, no shaking, no extra noise. It just softens the start of your air conditioner. That's why they call it soft start rv.com slash stay cool back to the rv travel podcast with bob wells bob i gotta tell you you changed my entire philosophy of travel not just a few minutes ago but when i watched you or rewatched you in nomadland the movie uh, and we'll get into that. And I don't want to sound like a fanboy, but I, I tell you, I think you stole the show. 
you're genuine, you're the real deal. That's why the director chose you and others like you to be in that movie. And folks, if you haven't watched it yet, watch it. You'll see why it won so many Academy Awards. The first time you watch it, you're going to think, man, I don't know. It's a, you know, there's some dark parts of that movie. And, uh, it, but then I think what came out of it for me, and I want, I want to, I want to check this with you, Bob. I think there was a lot of hope and optimism in that movie. How do you feel about that whole aspect of Nomadland? Well, what you have to understand about the, it's a, it's first and foremost, a story. It's mm-hmm. the story of one woman's journey. Fern, the, the main character Francis McDermott plays. Um, it's her story and her story is hard and dark. And so therefore the whole movie is, is hard and dark. Uh, but I think a lot of it you see is if you have to look for it is the hope that, uh, this, the dark night of the soul in her life, her, she, her husband dies. Uh, she and her husband are working at a town. Actually, this is, this is literally true. Um, a gypsum mining town in Nevada, Empire, Nevada. I know it well. The, <laughs> yeah. You, a lot of us have driven past there or, or, or even stopped in. Um, and they'd been, they'd both been lived there the whole life and they loved their lives there together. And then he dies and they shut down the mine. And so the, the whole town just closes. It's gone, disappears. Um, and so, there's this enormous loss and so she is confronted with what is my life and what is it going to be now and she chooses to become nomadic and uh and because she has to first because she can't survive in anymore she doesn't have enough money to survive on and uh because that's a choice she makes she's offered three times in the movie she's offered a way out Someone else says, oh, let me rescue you from this horrible life you're in. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, this is the life I've chosen. And uh, so I think it's very positive, and you see a lot of healing and transformation, but you have to look for it. It emits the um, – um, I think it's just a stark, beautiful journey of uh, a transformation. Well, you know, and it's funny you use those terms because um, I spend a lot of time in that country, mostly just north of there in Gerlach and beyond. You mentioned Burning Man. I'm not there. I'm there in the hunting season part of the year. But uh, it is stark and beautiful. And I think the director of the film and the and the cinematographer together captured that uh, when they did shoot the scenes that were shot in that Empire area which i i was fascinated by for that reason but you also have used the term and i did too and i wrote it down again when we were watching it uh last week resilience um it's kind of like the self-reliance you described before the break these are people and there's lots of them and most of them are real people aren't they bob uh that uh are they they're adaptable Right. Yes. Uh, the problems they that you see in the movie uh, are real problems that we've all faced. We've all had breakdowns and needed a bunch of money all of a sudden, and uh, and we've been lonely and we've been scared and we've had life. Life has happened to us, <laughs> and uh, we haven't hidden away from it in our. You know, I think of homes as these beautiful, comfortable prisons 
that we go in to try and stay safe and away from all the dangers and the hardships of the world, and they become prisons, these soft, wonderful, beautiful prisons that we've all walled ourselves into. Well, if you get out of the prisons, as soft and wonderful and beautiful as they are, life can become pretty hard, and it can be scary, and it can be lonely, and it can be dangerous. But you'll live, and that's something you don't really do when you live your life in a prison. No matter how soft and beautiful and wonderful you've made that prison, it's still a prison. Okay, and if if you use this, I want credit. You'll take it another step. You live in a padded cell. Exactly. So um, you you worked first with uh, the author of the book Nomadland. Uh, how did that all come together, and what did you do for her? Well, uh, she was. She was uh, her her topic of writing is uh, a lot um, alternative lifestyles. Mm-hmm, so had, mm-hmm. she'd been to Burning Man numerous times and written a book on Burning Man. Her name is Jessica Bruder, and so she had learned through that about the nomadic community, and had learned also then about my Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, and had come to the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous and had met a bunch of people. And, let, you know, she told them she was a reporter. She's doing a long-form piece uh, for a book. She Initially, her first visit was to write a, a newspaper article, not sure. a newspaper, a magazine yeah. article. Mm-hmm. But after that went well, uh, she decided to write the book. And so she became very good friends with Linda May and Charlene, who are both in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they traveled together. And uh, the if you've read the book, that is Linda May's story. And the character of Fern in the movie is a fictionalized uh, Linda May story. And so Linda May was the one in the movie with the long gray hair. Yeah. yeah. And that's her. That's her and, and Charlene. They're good friends, and all three of them are very good friends. And so they're all in the movie. And and so <clears throat> then from the movie comes the book. I mean, from the book comes the movie. And uh, and we all know this. Nah, I haven't had any of my books optioned yet, so I can't complain about that. But the book in the movie differ in in some regards don't they bob right they're not the same at all well the um the uh the movie's a fictionalized story whereas the book is uh non-fiction i mean it's yeah, this woman's yeah. story it's it's a biography it's set in the in a bigger setting uh so that yeah it's a fictionalized story it's not linda may that's not linda may's life it's uh for that fern uh, fern is not linda may and never intended to be. Uh, so that was what uh, Chloe, Chloe Zhao, the the director of the movie, one of the producers and director. Uh, that's what she does. She's known for fictionalizing stories and using the original real people. And so that's when they hired her. They knew that's what they were getting and what they would, uh, what the movie would be. Yeah. And so Chloe actually wrote the screenplay. And uh, working with her, I could, could watch it actually kind of evolving right in front of you. And, and a lot of it is uh, scripted, but a whole bunch of it is just speaking in your own words. And we're going to get to some of that uh, as we get a little deeper into this whole thing. You're listening to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the host. That's Bob Wells. You know, I, I, your, your impact in the film is disproportionate to the amount of camera time you got, Bob. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that for now because a lot of people feel the same way. I don't know about you. How did you feel about the whole film experience? 
Well, it was, you know, it would, it was very unusual. First, we were outdoors. We were in quartzite. We yeah, were, uh, yeah. we were actually on the LTVA. The BLM gave us a permit, uh -huh. and the, one of the most pla the places they could control was the LTVA there in quartzite. So we were on it shooting. So we were just, you know, five miles from downtown quartzite, such as it is. <laughs> uh, so it, when we were out in the middle of the desert, and so it was, and we recreated the RTR because the uh, the RTR is kind of the hub. It's where they all met, and then every year. They re-meet re there, and then they traveled together probably over the winter, camp together, and then scatter to the to the wind in the summer. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the nomad way. Uh, and so uh, it was kind of the hub, and that's kind of how I think of my role as to putting people together. Um, so it's not my job to be everyone's friend or or to know everyone. My job is simply to put them all together in the one spot i think of myself as the um the uh, the the hole in the axle where all the spokes come together love it what was the hardest part for you of being um in a in what became i bet you didn't know it at the time but what became a major motion picture for 2020 well it's um i just try to you know um not give it much thought it's yeah. uh yeah. Not let it. It just is another event in a a very strange life, uh, basically, and uh, so I I just um, go with the flow. You know, uh, surface oriented people don't seem to be as starstruck mm -hmm. slash nervous slash anxious about those kind of new and unusual situations. I feel like you're, you're, you've got a, you've got a calling and, and that probably helped a little bit. How about the actual execution of the movie itself? Uh, you mentioned that a lot of it was scripted, but a lot of it was not scripted. Uh, were, you know, were you going back and forth from those things? Uh, yeah, literally back and forth. Uh, she would, uh, you'd be shooting and she'd just tell you to talk about something. And then you'd have another part where she would actually write a script that she wanted to say it. Um, I had really, I really struggled with that. I'm, and I'm older, and my my ability to memorize has greatly decreased. Uh, so that was a little bit hard. I would have to really work at memorizing the lines, and um, and usually what would happen is it would become kind of a hybrid. I would say her lines, but kind of say them in my way. Uh, so she, and then she worked it with the editing magic, and and made it all work somehow. Yeah. <laughs> now, if only she could take that extra 10 pounds off that the camera puts on. That's my gripe every week. Um, did you watch a film when it was completed? Yes. They had a, uh, before it, you know, with the pandemic, getting it all out on the air was a, a major weirdness mm -hmm. for all movies right now, the last year. Um, they held the Telluride uh, Film Festival, held a screening. And because we couldn't be indoors, they actually uh, did it in a big open park. In and they they just create just out of the blue, they create a a drive-in theater at yeah, a park. Sure. And so uh, at the, that was the first showing, and we were all there for that showing. So that was the first time any of us saw it. I love it. And what what do you think about the whole thing? If you were going to take something away from watching the movie Nomadland pretending you're you're not the guy who's in it too what do you want people to take away from that movie that they have options 
Yeah. That uh, you're only told in this society, we're only told there's one way to live. That's to live the American dream, even if it's a nightmare for you. That's what you have to live. There's no options. Um, that there's an option that uh, you can live and thrive in a completely different way. And I hope more and more people see that. Um, and I think they will. Well, I think the pandemic will certainly throw open a lot of eyes and give people a lot of motivation to maybe consider changing their lives. You know, it wasn't but a thousand years ago when we were all hunter gatherers. Yeah, do you see any parallels between uh, the current nomad lifestyle and what, what our ancestors were doing a few generations back? Yes, uh, absolutely. I'm, I, um, I'm a really curious person and I do, I study a lot of science and, uh, anthropology and psychology are, are very, very important in all that I do in, um, so in, there's a new field, many new fields, uh, but one of them is evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology. And there is a phrase they use in, in those fields. You can just Google it. It's called environment of evolutionary adaptedness. So every organism uh, evolves in an environment, and that environment shapes them and molds them to be what exactly fit that environment. So if this part is a round square, and that part's a, a, a square, and this one's a triangle, and you fit that environment. And if you rip that organism out of that environment and place it in a totally different environment, then the, 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 in, that organism will not thrive. That organism will suffer. And so 10,000 years ago, we were all nomadic hunter-gatherers. And 10,000 years, and in, this, in the space of human history, well, uh, pre-human history is like 2 million years, 2.5 million years. That's nothing. 10,000 years is not time. We have not adapted, and our environment continues to change. Uh, in the last 200 years, our environment has drastically changed. The uh, and then the pace of change just drastically increases. Our twenty, our lives from fifty years ago, twenty years ago, ten years ago, yesterday are completely different. And so, science tells us very clearly that no organism, even with the advanced brain power that we have, can adapt that. And we're suffering because of it. And you, you look around at this world and all the problems of the world, the the developed world primarily. Uh, you're going to see all these problems. And so my, my thinking is this, let's go back, but we're not going to go back and live in hunter gatherers and, and kill animals to live on. That's, that's, those days are gone, but we can go back and find the principles that nomadic hunter gatherers lived by and adopt those principles. And if you live by the principles, you'll be much closer to the, the environment of evolutionary adaptedness. And so therefore you'll be happy. And everything I've done in, in uh, nomadic living, cheaprvliving.com, has been to move us to nomadic principles, connecting to nature. Uh, when we left nature we, in 10,000 years ago, everything changed. And uh, living by a sense of cooperation and connectedness with other people. Everything I'm doing is to switch from the civilized mind to the nomadic mind which and is you do it you know you might consider that even more civilized huh yes yeah the only they were the civilized ones yeah. absolutely 
Um, you know, we, we're going to have to wrap it up for a bunch of reasons, but I, I would love to carry on this conversation down the road. But Bob Wells, CheapRVLiving.com, YouTube channel with the same name, uh, also involved in the Homes on Wheels Alliance. And, oh, yeah, he, he was in this movie uh, that won a couple, three Academy Awards, maybe more now that I think about it. <clears throat> Bob, you, you weren't meant to be, um, but for many reasons, I would consider your role pivotal in one respect, and it's too bad it comes towards the end of the movie, and I don't want you to recreate it, and I maybe don't even want you to kind of go back to it and think about what you said, but you improvised. You riffed a, a conversation with uh, with the lead actor, Francis, that became uh, almost a touchstone for almost everybody who's led the nomadic lifestyle. They all have a slightly different reason, but you touched on it in a way that changed a lot of people, including me. How did you get to that point to where you could just tell her that story? That must have been tough. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tip anybody to it. That's that's the spoiler alert that won't be spoiled. Watch the movie, watch Bob. But Bob, tell us how you got to that point with her and what you were able to do. Well, um, it's a part of my life that I have not coped well with. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. It's been, well, it's been 10 years now. This is the 10th anniversary and, um, and I have not coped well with it. Uh, I wouldn't say I was coping well with it now. It's a hard thing to cope with. So Chloe came to me, the, the director, writer, director, producer, and uh, asked me if there was, and I had, uh, you know, I had almost never discussed this in public, virtually never. Um, mm -hmm. And she asked, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, loss and uh, pain in your life. And I told her, and it was a conscious decision I made that um, I needed to do this to honor my son. And I wasn't honoring my son by, um, by just ignoring it and uh, and not, not sharing my pain with the world. So it seemed like an opportunity to do good and honor him. And so that was really the my decision-making. It was an iconic moment. You'll uh, have to see it for yourself if you haven't watched the movie Nomadland yet. It's available everywhere you can find movies. And uh, Bob Wells was, uh, like I said, a, a critical part of it in many ways. Bob, um, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I am honored that you could make the time for us and our RV travel audience. Wherever you're headed next, be safe, and hopefully I will see you down the road. <laughs> Plan on it. Watch the movie. You'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see what Bob's talking about. You will learn something. Your life will change. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but your philosophy will be different after than it was before. The RV Travel Podcast welcomes a new sponsor. The Teardrop Shop has a wide range of gear and accessories for any teardrop trailer model or make. From appliances to parts to camping and solar power gear to sewer and water stuff, apparel and gifts, electronics and towing and leveling gear. It's all at teardropshop.com. Teardropshop.com. Welcome aboard, everybody. And speaking of welcoming aboard, you know, if you sign up for the uh, RV Travel Podcast Insider newsletter, you can listen to these broadcasts 
two days before all the rest of the rabble in the RV world gets to. We'll provide a link every Friday in your email inbox so you can listen before everybody else. Go to rvtravel.com slash subscribe. And all the folks who sign up, subscribe or give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or entered into a random drawing for an rvtravel.com mug. Brand new, limited edition. Sign up and you're entered in the drawing. Well, that's a lot to digest. I'll give you time to do that. Say goodbye for now. Sure appreciate your listening. Please tell a friend. That's how we grow. One listener at a time. If you subscribe as well, that helps a lot. Always talking at the RV Travel Facebook page, among other places, and at the RVTravel.com website, go to the podcast page and drop me a note there. I'll leave you with this. Speaking of philosophy, which is what we've been talking for the last hour, how is it that one match can start a forest fire, but it takes a whole box of matches to start a freaking campfire? I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for listening to the RV Travel Podcast. See you down the road.